Jim, nice to see you all today, and uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, keep that passage open. Uh, the software I use for um, preaching from has changed during the week, and uh, so if it all goes wrong, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I think I can still see what's going on. Uh, it's been quite interesting this week. A number of people have said to me uh, they're quite excited to hear what I have to say about the chapter where all the priests are killed, including Leanna. Um, so I try not to take things too personally. Uh, so let's pray as we begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And as we look at this passage, um, we pray that you would show us uh, more of yourself. Pray that you'd speak to us. Pray that you'd encourage us that we uh, are secure in your hands. We pray that we trust you more as a result. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Uh, also, the saying goes. Uh, if only we knew the outcome of something while it was actually happening, uh, would have done things very differently. Once we've seen the outcome, we wished we'd known it at the time, don't we? That's the benefit of hindsight. The problem with hindsight is that it, by definition, means that we kind of look back rather than forward. So hindsight, in a sense, isn't useful at all. It's kind of an ironic statement, isn't it? Hindsight is a wonderful thing if you'd known it at the time. But what is so brilliant about God's word is that as we read it with hindsight, uh, which is a wonderful thing, uh, it actually confirms the future for us. Uh, let me explain as we look through this passage. Uh, we've got two points. Uh, the first one is very long, it's the whole sermon, and the last one is very short, so don't panic. Uh, the enemy is not in control. The enemy is not in control. You'll remember last week that we uh, saw David in desperation running for his life from King Saul. Uh, he first went to Ahimelech the priest where he received some food and the sword of Goliath uh, and though, although importantly for this week's passage Ahimelech knew nothing of uh, Saul's pursuit of David at the time. From there David ran to the arch enemy the Philistines. Such was, it, was his desperation uh, but upon being recognized, if you remember, he pleaded to be insane, uh, literally acting like a madman with dribble coming down his face. And so they let him go. Then he sought refuge in the caves of Abdullam, uh, where word spread that he was there. So he was joined by his father and his, his father's family and 400 other desperate men, presumably fed up with King Saul's oppression and demanding reign. And so they all sought a new commander. Uh, he then fled to Moab, where he uh, was seeking safe haven for his elderly parents, which they received, thanks to the Moabite blood through their great-grandmother, Ruth. And finally, in verse 5 of chapter 22, where we left it last week, uh, David is still hearing and listening to the voice of God, as the prophet of Gad instructs him to now move to the forest of Hereth. David learned, we learned, that God has not cast us off. However desperate our circumstances, whatever decisions we make, good or bad, God has not cast us off. Doesn't the enemy, when we're desperate though, appear to have the upper hand? Even if God's not cast us off, the enemy seems to be in control. Doesn't Saul seem to be in control in this chapter as we read it? as he carries out these uh, judgments on the priests and that city of Nob. 
doesn't Satan today seem to be in control of this world of pain and of COVID and death? Well, let's, with hindsight, look at today's passage and see what that has to say about the apparent look of Satan's or evil's control today. Now, the best guess uh, in, uh, at this stage of the story is that David's been on the run for somewhere between one and two years by now, uh, and it will go on for a few more. And so it's time for our narrative to go back to an unspecified time during David's escape to see what Saul has been up to uh, while David's been on the run. So last week we saw what David was up to, this week we see what Saul is up to. Uh, so have a look at verse 6 of chapter 22. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered, and Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree on the hill of Gibeah, with all his officials standing at his side. Uh, it's striking how many times Saul is described as uh, sitting while God's people have been moving and as always Saul has uh, is sitting with his spear in his hand which never seems to be far from his grasp re ready to throw at someone uh, who he doesn't like it's a sign of don't mess with me I reckon if I walk around with a spear occasionally throwing at people uh, that would send a pretty clear message as well while Saul seems to be in control in other words he, he has the upper hand we have to wonder if his temperament is a little bit out of control. Sitting with his officials, those apparently loyal to him, they're, they're still there with him. Those of his own tribe, no less, we're told they're Benjamites, just like Saul. Uh, but in his head, he is breeding conspiracy theories and ideas of betrayal and deception and double crossing. Have a look at verse seven. Uh, Saul said to them, listen, men of ben Benjamin, will the son of Jesse, uh, it's his reference to David, will David give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is, is that why you're conspiring against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. Saul is breeding crazy thoughts and conspiracy theories. I'm just everyone's out to get him. He's unable to use David's name. He calls him son of Jesse. Bitter about his own son, Jonathan, making a covenant with the son of Jesse. He's flinging accusations, at least it's not his spear just yet, even at his advisors. His teeth are snarling, he's red-faced, he's got wild eyes. He's a man you don't want to be around when he loses it. And as we're about to see, you really don't want to be around when he loses it. Verse 9, but Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse, notice the same name for David, come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitab at Nob. I mean, this guy is a, is a real creep, a, a true yes man to Saul, uh, similarly avoiding David's name and just calling him son of Jesse to sort of sidle along the king whom he clearly admires. Uh, this is the Doeg of, Ed, of Edomite, the Edomite, who we spotted with David with Ahimelech the priest in last week's chapter and his report now is far from favorable towards the priests have a look at verse 10 
This is what he says, Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Finally, thinks Saul, a lead, a victim to take out my anger on. Uh, the clue to his kind of predetermined opinion about the uh, guilt of priest Ahimelech is shown in the way that he addresses him once Ahimelech's been summoned to his presence. Verse 12 says to him, listen now, son of Ahitab. Notice uh, he's not using his name anyway, either. It's like as if he uses the name of the one he, he hates. Uh, it's a bit like using the name of Voldemort in Harry Potter. And he pronounces then in verse 13 his conclusions before even asking any questions. Look at this, verse 13. Saul said to him, Ahimelech, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of the Lord for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Ahimelech tries to answer the king. Why have all your servants, sorry, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? In other words, why, why would I suspect him as being a traitor? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. We're not sure if that means, of course, that wasn't the first day. He never will. Or whether he means he's done it many times before and it's a normal thing. Let not the king accuse your servant of any of his father's or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. Well, despite Ahimelech's truthful answers and explanation of what's going on, verse 16, the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Finally, he uses the name of his enemy, Ahimelech, for he now is not fearful or confused. He's decided, Ahimelech, your whole family will now die. Saul, God's enemy, is in control, isn't he? Perhaps God has not cast off Ahimelech or David, but Saul appears to be in control. Even Saul's guards, though, seem to know this can't be right. They're too afraid to uh, kill the priests. But there is that slimeball Doeg standing by to carry out the murders. And it's not just Ahimelech and his family and the priests that face death. All the priests uh, are to face the same end. And then some, verse 18, the king ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, its cattle, its donkey and sheep. Uh, that uh, phraseology there at the end, the, the men, the women, the children, the infants, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, ought to cast our mind back to chapter 15, uh, where Saul wasn't prepared to carry out the Lord's command to uh, carry out to kill every living thing amongst the Amalekites, the enemies. If you remember, he kept the king alive and and the good livestock for himself. He had uh, too little respect for the Lord's name. And yet here, when his very own name, King Saul, his name is at stake, 
well, he does a very thorough job, doesn't he? He's elevated his own status uh, well above God's. Well, God asked me to do it for his name's sake. I'll just sort of keep the good bits for myself. Not when it comes to my name, says Saul. Everyone will die. He kind of confirms his place among what we would call in the New Testament the Antichrists, a leader who is anti or against God's anointed one. That's what Christ means, anointed one. And so David in this uh, in 1 Samuel is, a, is the Christ, the anointed one. He's been anointed by Samuel to be king and ruler of his people. King Saul here joins an anonymous club of these type of leaders throughout uh, the history. Pharaoh of Egypt, the killer of baby boys when Moses was, uh, when Moses escaped. King Herod, the killer of baby boys when Jesus escaped. King Saul, the killer of infants, when we'll see that just one escapes. He seems in control of events, however evil he may now be. Even if we call him out of control in his mind, he's in control of what's going on. But despite the tragedy that this event is, Saul is actually not the one in control at all. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, flick back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, right back to the beginning, verse 31, where we find a prophecy uh, that this exact situation that Saul has just enacted uh, tells us about. And it's in response to the sin and the rebellion of the sons of the priest Eli, if you remember them, right back at the beginning uh, in September. Uh, Eli was the priest and his sons uh, were rebellious and Eli did nothing about it at the time. So back in chapter 2, verse 31, uh, we read this. This is a prophecy to Eli. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. You see, Saul is not in control, not because he's lost it, but because God is in control. Even in Saul's great pride, he is unable to avoid carrying out a prophecy of the Lord God against the priests set back in chapter 2. As was the case for Pharaoh, for his actions led to the release of Israel and the institution of the Passover, which led to the hope we have in Jesus. As, it, as was the case for King Herod, whose actions led to the escape of Jesus and his family to Egypt to fulfill the prophecy that out of Egypt would come a saviour. As it is with every anti-Christ, they are not in control. God is. Uh, we're not to think that Saul's actions or any other evil actions are therefore good and right because it's within God's control. Far from it. He has made his motives and his heart very clear. He does not accept God's anointed one. He literally is an anti-Christ. He does not think that God is worthy of obedience. He will be judged rightly for his actions by God. 
But even when a person is driven by sinful motives and a heart that rejects Christ, even when uh, we come across false teachers today who malign the word of God or point us away to a different Jesus, those antichrists are not in control, even if they think they are, and even if it looks like they are to us. You and I are not in control. The church universal is not in control, as if we could derail God's sovereign plans for this world. Satan himself, the ultimate enemy and, enemy and antichrist in this world, is not in control, despite his attempts to draw many away from God, and despite what it may look like at times. God alone is in control. Ahimelech did not deserve to die, but it was God's will for this to happen, to fulfill the word promised uh, to Eli back in chapter two. Saul did not want God's will to succeed, but it always will and always does. Of course, Ahimelech, his family, the children, the men, the women, all slaughtered that day may well still be eternally saved. You see, the tragedy and circumstances of someone's earthly death at the will of God, for all we all die at the will of God at some point, that death does not impact the righteous justice of God and his final judgment upon us all. We, God does not think, he does not operate as we do. But the point here is kind of both a stark warning to those that reject God's anointed one, Jesus, that whatever you think, whatever philosophy you follow, whatever you think you have control of, you do not. We're pawns in the sovereignty of God, and we will carry out his will, whether we like it or not. And we will, as Saul will, be judged unless we repent of being anti or against Christ Jesus. For only Jesus can atone or, or make right our sins. But for those of us that believe, so that's a warning, here is our hindsight. Here is the most powerful king of the time, unwittingly proving to us that no antichrist, no person, not even Satan, can ever win. They're not in control. Whatever life looks like, however weak our faith, however failing the church may appear, nothing is out of God's control. Satan himself may bring pain and destruction in our lives. Many pastors and Christians are slaughtered and persecuted around the world even today. And yet it is not in vain. It is under God's sovereign control. Those who do these things will be judged. And those who suffer at the hands of those will be judged according to their acceptance or not of Christ in this life. God is not weak. He does not shy away from fulfilling his word, even when that looks hard to us. He does not shy away from bringing right justice and consequences as he proves here. But do not be dismayed or do not be afraid in your faith. For promise after promise after promise is fulfilled in the Old Testament. And it is all to give us hindsight, which is a wonderful thing. For it shows us that God is in control, not the enemy. Fear not the evil one. 
God is in control. So if the enemy is not in control and God is in control, uh, our second uh, little point is what does that look like? What, what does that mean for us? Uh, those last few verses, verse 20 to 23, shows that there's just one survivor from uh, this attack. Uh, and that's the son of Ahimelech, one of the sons of Ahimelech, Abithar, who also a priest. And he flees to the only pr- place left for him. He manages to find God's anointed, David. Now, unlike Jesus, David is not perfect, but he is humble and honest. Look what he says to uh, Abithar when he arrives and finds him in verse 22, chapter 2, 20, 22, 22. Then David said to Abithar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. What a contrast between the future King David's attitude and humility and King Saul. And we know where this story goes, don't we, in 1 Samuel. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? We know that David, God's anointed, that the mini Christ, if you like, will overcome and rule his people in glory. And so I want to give the last words to these two kings in this passage today for the last words that they speak to the priests of of Nob are very telling about the two types of kings we have on offer to us today. We have those who are anti-Christ but think they're in control and we have the one who is the Christ, Jesus. We've just seen that the Antichrist in his pride will ultimately bring uh, death to you. And we were about to hear what Christ will bring to us. So listen to our two options from these two examples in verse 22. They're the very last words spoken by each king to a priest uh, of the time. The Antichrist will say to us at the end, verse 16, you will surely die. The Christ will say to us today, verse 23, you will be safe with me. There are two choices in this life, aren't they? We can choose anything that is against, not anti-Christ. And we will find out that they'll say to us in the end, you will surely die. Or hindsight is a wonderful thing. We can hear that truth, be reminded that death awaits all those who are against Christ. And we can turn to Christ, we can run to him, and he will say, you will be safe with me. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, for this passage. We thank you that you are in control even when it looks like Satan is in control or evil people or dictators or disease or whatever it may be, we thank you for this reminder, this hindsight that shows us that whatever it looks like today, you are in control. Help us to turn away from anything that stands against you. If we don't know you today, please show us the Christ, so that when we stand before you, we will not be told you will surely die, 
but we will be told this very day, the moment we accept Christ into our hearts, you are safe with me. May those words ring true in our hearts this week. As we seek to live for you, you will be safe with me. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Back to Tim.